Welcome again to Get to Know an Average Joe. I'm Dodie Yaks, and I'm glad you've joined for this episode. It's just a couple weeks after International Women's Day, and as I was listening back to this conversation with Jean Johnson, I just really was reminded about how we stand on the shoulders of pioneers. Imagine to be 20, 21 years old in the 60s in America. There, there was nothing like it. I mean, this was the end of history. This was everything was to be accomplished. Jean is going to tell you herself, but she was one of the first volunteers in the Peace Corps in Colombia. She was one of the first women to work at the National Science Foundation. And if you don't already feel lucky to be a woman in this day and age, I think you will after listening to Jean. Jean Johnson, we are sitting on an upstairs balcony in your home in Washington, D.C., and this is a regular morning spot for you. Describe this place and what it means to you. That's, that's amusing that you think it's a regular morning spot. Uh, we built it 20, 30 years ago, and people always assume that we are sitting, having coffee, <laughs> and enjoying it. And actually, uh, it's, it's seldom used for that. We um, built a little greenhouse up here to last year because we realized that the backyard was so shady that we were never going to grow vegetables there. So we disassembled the greenhouse and put it back, put it back together again on the third floor. So most of our time here is sweating and building and cleaning and construction. So, but I love it that people see it, see it as a place of serenity and say, oh, you must really, you and Mr. Johnson must really enjoy having your coffee here. Okay, so then this moment is an exception because there is coffee in your hand. Yes, uh, yes, yes, this is a lovely, lovely morning for us. And your path to Washington, D.C. was from the south side of Chicago and the long way around. Gosh, yes. I thought about this a couple of weeks ago. We were in Chicago for my brother Tim Lennon, and he was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary. And I reflected on how important Tim was to me in my life because he was the one who said to my parents, Gene would really like Clark College. He was going to Loras College in Dubuque, Iowa. I was floundering at the University of Illinois Navy Pier. My brother Tim saying Gene would like it kind of was the magic three words uh, and um, the family all pulled together to make it possible. When you have a fine liberal arts education like that, then I wanted to go in the Peace Corps, and I did that in Columbia. And from the Peace Corps, I received a future teacher fellowship to Stanford and went there and then studied more. And there met Pat Johnson and uh, that and married and uh, that was the um, the trajectory from the south side of Chicago to Stanford Graduate School 
and from there, um, when we graduated, my husband first uh, came here to Washington to work, and I stayed on at Stanford till I finished my coursework, and then came across uh, in a little Toyota with my 10-month-old baby. There are so many points to backtrack on and ask details about, but let's go with Columbia. Hmm. What was that like? This was 1964, so it was the third um, year of the Peace Corps. The number of Peace Corps volunteers in Colombia was very large relative to other countries because of the ambassador to Colombia, the American ambassador to Colombia liked it, Colombia liked it, and so it just, he facilitated a lot of groups. That was one of the earlier groups, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful time, of course, the 60s. Uh, I mean, the 60s for the U.S., for new ideas, and imagine to be 20, 21 years old in the 60s in America. There, there was nothing like it. I mean, this was the end of history. This was everything was to be accomplished. Um, change the world, you know, redeem the world, develop the world. Victorian ideas are out for women. It, it was just, there was so much idealism and promise and expectation for change. You're really smiling. You're really lit up remembering this. So I have to ask, do you think that that your generation, the generation after you, have realized that promise? I think that um, I was a 21-year-old idealist that had yet to learn how the world really changes. And so in a way, uh, I fell flat on my face in the Peace Corps. I wasn't going to develop it. I wasn't going to make it better. Uh, grown men on the street were saying to me two years later when I was about to leave that the price of rice had gone up to so much. I've forgotten the amount now. And they were so worried. And I, I thought, I failed, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. So it was... It Maybe a little perfectionism in you. <laughs> Not, yeah, perfectionism and, and uh, you know, kind of hallucinating on my <laughs> ability to <laughs> change things, you know. It was a big reality check on, you know, how development works, how, how communities develop, etc. The Peace Corps, you said that was the third year of the Peace Corps, so you really were at the start of you know, one of the great institutions of America. And I have met younger Peace Corps volunteers, and they stay with their, or they stay close to their Peace Corps groups. Did you create a sub-family unit with your fellow volunteers? I'm glad you you asked that. The, there is a wonderful Friends of Columbia group in Washington, D.C., However, I only see them when we have the big celebrations. We were all together for recently for the 50th anniversary. But they are my friends. They were in, in my group, and they organize it, and it has sort of a home at American University because they have an archive of things that people have donated from their Peace Corps days. So they've kept letters and photos and 
reports and and uh, so it's a it's a wonderful organization. The reason I'm not uh, involved in the activities that they're doing is that in my uh, the church that I belong to, Holy Trinity in Georgetown, has a sister parish in El Salvador. <coughs> And over the years, I saw delegations come back and give summaries to the parish, to the parishioners about the conditions, the people, the projects. And I said to myself, when I retire, I'm, I'm doing that. And that's what I've done for the last 12 years. I've um, been in the El Salvador committee for 10 years. I cheered it. and go down every year and keep building building our programs and it's it's I would be doing the same thing in Colombia if I weren't involved in in this uh, El Salvador committee but this this just seems right that it's in my parish and it's, uh, it's what I can do to you know attract other parishioners to this work and you've done this since you retired. What did you retire from? The National Science Foundation. I was there for 32 years. I came to Washington from Stanford and uh, worked for a year in, as a policy analyst in uh, the Futures Research Group. I got a contract from NSF to write a report on alternative energy policies and futures and um, when I presented the report they offered me a job because they had just started a small interdisciplinary research program called um, resource systems. They were hiring people and new people, women, and that's my degree at Stanford had been in international development education which was the economics of development, politics of development, and sociology of development. So anyway, they, um, I, I worked there for uh, three or four years and then just kept changing within the National Science Foundation to different jobs. You had Heather with you at 10 months old driving across country, and then the next kid didn't come along for quite a while. So what happened in that gap? Right. Uh, I said that uh, we, we had a baby every 10 years, whether we needed to or not. And uh, so when we came to uh, Washington, we uh, both got a job at the National Science Foundation, me first and then Pat. And then um, just settling in, uh, trying to be one of the few women program managers at the National Science Foundation. Work, work, work. Um, well, finally, uh, we allowed ourselves another baby uh, nine years later. It was Patrick. And then uh, there was a little space in my heart for a third, and Margaret came uh, five years later. When Patrick and Margaret were young, you lived in Paris. How did that come about? Well, uh, Pat was asked to be the head of the Europe office, which uh, the, the, the card and the title is the most auspicious part of the, the job. It meant being there alone with a secretary, but um, it was a chance for me to uh, take a leave of absence from work 
Heather was in college and she uh, took her junior year abroad or semester and uh, and the two children went with me. For me it was like a junior year abroad which I hadn't had in college and every time the children had a vacation from a break from school uh, we used it to be to accompany Pat on the travels that he did to uh, look at science projects in other European countries. And that was how long in Paris? Uh, two and a half years. But clearly so influential in the entryway of your house. You still have a huge map of Paris, and it seems like that was just an important time in all of your lives. It was, and my husband really loves cities. He loves Hong Kong. He loves Paris. And it was the job of a lifetime for him to look at uh, science in, throughout Europe and see where there were opportunities to collaborate on the ground floor while it was still basic science before commercialization, before development. That's uh, extremely appealing to uh, an intellectual like my husband. Mm. And I guess to you, you're a scientist, it must appeal to your scientific mind. Well, it was an opportunity to learn French, to converse in French. When I wasn't helping Pat in the office, I was in French class, and I joined these Bienvenue en France um, classes. You could uh, do tours of the, the Louvre. The, um, you could have French literature group. And, and read a book a month and meet in each other's houses. And it was a wonderful time to meet European women. The w women who joined these Bienvenue en France were from Egypt and Germany and Spain, and, and none of them worked because their husbands were diplomats and they were, you know, there with their children. But it introduced me to uh, women who are well-read, well-traveled, and, uh, and had the time to discuss literature. And I was also in a history group. And it, it, it's really marvelous. It's a marvelous luxury to be part of that kind of living for a few years when you're not working and getting up every morning where all time slots seem to be in half hours. Mm. I can do this for, I can get this done in a half hour and then I'll, you know, to, uh, to be released from that for a couple of years was, uh, was a total joy. Sounds like um, a pioneering book club. <laughs> yes. I think, I think what a pioneer you are, participating in the early Peace Corps and having this book club and having that, that life and pushing yourself. It sounds, sounds very pioneering. It, it was all established. I just entered into these. It had been started, I believe, after World War II. Can I ask about the combination of your scientific mind and, and how you take care of yourself spiritually? Just coming back to a conversation that you and I had downstairs in the kitchen over breakfast about the well-being of your body and how you put yourself to sleep. Can you describe yes. that, please? Yes. Well, I think the mind-body uh, connection and the interest in spirituality. I was raised 
a Catholic, and so I had domestic church in my home. You know, my mother believed in the communion of saints. I mean, she described to me once that her mother visited her when her mother had died. Her mother visited her to to comfort her, and so I mean, she was a, a person who who believed in in an afterlife and uh, and uh, and communicating with that afterlife. Yes, That's yes. amazing. And uh, so I, I left many aspects of that life and piety um, in the Peace Corps and graduate school. It, uh, it didn't seem to fit in there. Were you a recovering Catholic, as they say? I was, uh, I think, uh, affronted that the Catholic education that I had received to prepare me to redeem the world didn't work. Right. <laughs> and it's their fault for setting me up for <laughs> failure. <laughs> so uh, for many years, I uh, you know, was angry about that. So um, about uh, a dozen women and I um, came together twice a month to talk about the, they wanted to investigate and explore the new topic at that time of the uh, spiritual dimension of healing that you can, you know, have, you can have uh, therapy, you know, conversation that is healing, you can, you know, exploring your past that is healing, but um, what other things can help a person heal? I read several books on it, uh, the, the um, Molecules of Emotion by Candice Pert was very uh, enlightening, and also the uh, acupressure points for common ailments. And so I have um, incorporated some of the, uh, it's just a daily practice for me to do some acupressure points for uh, whatever ails you at the moment. And you refer to yourself as a, a skinny woman in your 70s. <laughs> so there are special ailments. Oh, for us, um, I, I'd say the, the overall one is poor circulation. I am uh, a clone of my mother, and she had poor circulation, spider veins, varicose veins, all the signs that your, your blood isn't pumping, and very, very low blood pressure. So once you've taken care of um, the acupressure points, you've gotten a good night's sleep, describe a day for you and the elements that make a day fantastic for Jean Johnson. Recently, um, I've been getting involved with the um, uh, decentralized shelters for Washington, D.C. We had a huge, uh, we still have a huge, uh, big uh, shelter for 285 families in, um, in Washington. And the goal is to have every single neighborhood, every ward, uh, build a small shelter and welcome 50 families and help them um, enter the middle class. Is, wow. 
see what they need to do to stabilize, uh, get into permanent housing, uh, get job training, etc. So um, that's uh, that's a new new thing for me too, and uh, that that I, I enjoy doing with with other neighbors, and um, but. As far as um, relaxing pleasure, nothing beats having a countertop f full of vegetables and start to cook. Community service and healthy living. <laughs> good food, good loving is what we say in our house. Well, Jean Johnson, thank you very much for sharing a bit of your life on Get to Know an Average Joe. Thank you for asking. You got to know Jean's husband, Pat Johnson, on the previous episode of Get to Know an Average Joe. And in our next episode, we'll meet an entrepreneur, a TED Talker, and a man who's asking us all, can we communicate better? Uh, it feels like a calling, and it was probably at the right time as well. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it 10 years earlier. I wasn't ready myself. I, mean, I needed to do a couple of things before that. And once I did, it just fell into place, and now it's like a life purpose. Uh, helping people be better at communicating with other people. Anthony Lassenai is our Joe. Thanks for listening. Please rate me on iTunes or wherever you're getting your pods. And now, if you'll excuse me.